Chapter 15 of Zara the Cruel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Angela Jeffries. Zara the Cruel by Joan Conquest. Chapter 15 A rose fell to the lot of a monkey. Arabic proverb. Zara and Al-Assad sat in consultation. Two beautiful beings, in whom cunning stood for brain and neither millstones for hearts, where others were concerned. To enhance her beauty in the eyes of the white man, who looked upon her but indifferently, the Arabian had worn a transparent yashmak, dyed her fingertips, plastered her person with as many jewels as she could fasten to her garments, and walked like a cat on hot bricks or a mannequin, or a Spaniard. In the presence of the Nubian, who loved her with all the might of his half-savage soul, she sat cross-legged on a pile of cushions, smoking endless cigarettes, wound in a wrapping of silk, which she kept in its place by tucking the ends in, and with her bare feet thrust into heelless slippers. She was far more beautiful in her simplicity than in her most extravagant apparel, if she had only known it and a furnace would have but mildly described the tumult of love which she aroused in her magnificent slave. An hour had passed since she had hastily summoned him on return from her meeting with her blind enemy at the beginning of the secret path, an hour in which they had talked and suggested, and yet had failed to find a way out of the difficulty which had arisen out of her lie. Thinkest thou, O Al-Assad, that the blind one knew? I know not, mistress he said slowly, perchance tis fate who guides his feet continually across thy path, or maybe the wind of chance, yet we can do nothing. He touched an amulet of good luck at his neck. The Arabian made a circle in the air with her fingers. May the spirit of my father, who placed the safekeeping of the blind one in my hands, remain peacefully in paradise. They got up solemnly, turned from left to right three times, and sat down again. The heathens! When will they learn to touch wood, or to turn the whole chair or couch round three times with themselves, as do their Christian and more civilized brethren? Thou dost worry over much, woman, about this white girl. She is but a fly to be blown from the rim of thy cup of happiness and good fortune. A word to thy slave, and he pinches the fly between his thumb and finger. He illustrated his words his splendid teeth flashing as he laughed, then ducked his handsome head so as to avoid the backhander dealt him by the woman he worshipped. "'Thou fool!' she replied shortly. "'Where findest thou the sense to drink when thou art thirsty, or to eat when thou art empty? Have I not told thee that the white man believes the white woman to be dead? Yea, buried in the sands, as she would verily have been buried this night, if the thrice accursed blind one had not yet again crossed my path. If the white man who has, through the accursed foolishness of my tongue, been told that the girl is dead, speaks with the one who tells him that she is alive, what then? Thou dullard! Canst thou not see a glimmer of light? Behold, art thou blinder than the blind one, thou imbecile offspring of foolish parents? She got up and crossed to the door, from which nothing could be seen but the stars above great walls of rock, whilst the Nubian rose and followed her noiselessly. Standing close to her, 
Girt in his loincloth, he towered above her. He bent his head so that the scented curls touched his lips, and gently stroked the silken wrapper with his slender fingers, whilst his heart almost broke in the love he had for her. He would have starved for her, endured torture for her, died for her. He was her rightful mate. She was his woman out of all the world. Yet she hankered for the grapes which hung well beyond the reach of her cross-bred hands, and he forgot his manhood in the fear of losing the little, which was yet so much, she gave him. He worked so hard to gain the barest word of gratitude. He found such joy in lying across the threshold o' nights to keep her safe. He suffered such hell through jealousy. Yet, in his loyalty, in his desire to bring her happiness, he had not once thought of removing the white man from his own path. The white woman, yea, why not? What difference would one soulless woman, more or less, make in this world already overstocked with soulless women? Once she was removed, and the woman of his heart's desire married to the man she loved, and did Allah in his wisdom ever know of such a tangle? Then he would ride out into the desert and die, or, better still, become chief of a band with which to harry the white man when he ventured across the quicksands. Primitive reasoning but not too bad for one who could neither read nor write, and whose idea of God was a vasty, corporeal deity who offered sweetmeats with one hand, and struck one for taking them with the other. He laughed as he spoke, on the spur of his primitive reasoning, and stroked the soft silk which wrapped his rightful mate. Mistress! At a certain tone in his voice, with which she was unacquainted, she turned her head and looked over her shoulder, and up at him sideways so that her yellow eyes gleamed through half-closed lids, just as gleamed the eyes of the well-nigh adolescent lion-cub watching them from a corner of the luxurious room. Mistress, if we're well if I broke the neck of the white woman within the hour, and fastening her dead body upon some horse, sent them floundering into the sands of death, then will I spread a tale of the white woman's betrayal of thy hospitality, and how she stole thy horse and attempted to escape? So— he laughed as she turned upon him in anger, then bent down and looked into her beautiful, furious eyes with a look she did not understand, but which caused her to draw back a pace. Behold, are thy words as bright as a rusty sword, and thy reasoning as sharp as the blunt edge? she cried. The white woman has found favor in the eyes of thy brethren, thou fool! Thinkest thou that when they hear of her death, that their lamentations will not reach to the mountain-tops, yea, and to the ears of the white man, so that he turns upon me in rage? Behold, are the wits of the deaf boy who waits upon the white man like two-edged daggers compared to thine, O Al-Assad of the camel-head? Al-Assad of the camel-head made no sign of the storm caused within him by the nearness of the woman and her contemptuous words. He stood quite still, the perfume of her hair in his nostrils, the silk of her garment in his hands. "'Thou makest a pond of a raindrop, woman,' he answered. "'What are my brethren but children, pleased to-day at a smile, angered to-morrow at a word? Make great promises of feasting and fighting, and their love belongs to the giver of food and the promoter of battle. Laugh at them, mock them, make sport of their words, and their raiment, and their countenance, and they will kill without a word. Zara put her little hands against his chest, and pushed him away, 
and looked at him sideways as she crossed to the couch, and looked at him again when he did not follow, and beckoned him with a backward movement of her head, which showed him the beauty of her throat as he leant against the lintel and looked at her, and laughed at the simplicity of the plan that was formulating in his mind. Dying of thirst, he stretched for the cup even if there was but a drop of water left. Starving, he swept the very floor for a crust. Destitute, he demanded the smallest coin as price for the way he had found for removing the obstacle from the Arabian girl's path. When she beckoned, he crossed to her and sat down, but not upon the floor at her feet. He sat beside her, close to her, and looked at her so that she shrank away. Shelter is given to the camel, meat to the dog, water to the horse at the end of a day of toil, he said slowly. What reward will be given this slave if he removes the cloud from before the sun of his mistress's happiness? Thou? A reward given unto thee? She could hardly have shown more astonishment if he had asked for the heaped-up contents of her jewel-safe. My father gave thee shelter when thou did flee from the wrath of those who despised thy life, dates when thy bones pierced thy skin, water when thou wast well-nigh dead from thirst. A reward? Behold, the whip across thy mouth will be thy reward for thy daring, thou mongrel. She had worked herself into a rare rage, and flung herself to the far end of the couch, so that an end of the silken wrapper became untucked and she beat upon the cushions with clenched fists, thereby causing the loosened garment to slip yet lower still, until it exposed the splendid shoulders, which looked the more bewitching in that they were half-draped. Alas, that it be so hard a task to drill into the heads of women the simple truth that, where décotage is concerned, a hint is far more potent than a whole hard fact. A reward for thee, she repeated, for thee yea a date a drop of water he paused then rose and walked to the door and looked up at the stars and laughed at the thought of the gift he would pluck from paradise yea a date for the camel and water for the horse but a kiss one kiss from thy mouth which is as a red flower fashioned in rubies and set with pearls which are thy teeth nay Fling not thyself upon thy slave, for he could break thee with one hand. The camel works not without reward. The horse dies without water. Thy slave will not reveal his plan without the promise of that which he craves. But the camel and the horse fulfill their tasks, said Zara sweetly, slowly, baiting her trap, into which the simple barbarian would ultimately fall. The reward comes afterwards, O Al-Assad, when the heat of the day is o'er, and the peace of the night falleth apace. Come. She held out her hand, and he ran to her, ran as swiftly as a deer, as noiselessly as the lion watching them out of tawny, half-closed eyes, and knelt at her feet, and encircled her with his arms, without touching her with all. Thou wilt, thou wilt, when my plan is unfolded my tale is told. Thou wilt? Zara, the liar, the hypocrite, the merciless, smiled gently as she looked down into the handsome face so near her own, nodded her head as she listened, and pushed away the encircling arms as she rose to her feet and moved a few steps. 
It was such a simple plan, and such an effective plan, for getting her out of her quandary, and the reward was such a simple one to grant. A solitary kiss, a thing of nothing, a sound, a fleeting second of rapture to him, yet she vowed in her treacherous heart that no man but the man she loved should hold her in his arms or other lips than his touch her beautiful, lying mouth. "'Yea, verily, tis a good plan and easy,' she said, watching him out of the corner of her eyes. "'Thou wilt spread tales of this white woman's ingratitude, and of her mocking of our sisters, so that the men, infuriated, fall upon her and kill her, not this night, but upon the night of feasting. "'Yea, mistress, upon the night of feasting, so that the women, occupied in the task of cooking, know nothing of her death, and know nothing will say nothing, mistress,' he ended in a whisper. "'Is it not a good plan, and simple?' Forgetting the Arabian proverb which teaches that a spark can fire the whole quarter, counting upon her power over the man, forgetting also that he was human, even if he were a slave, she laughed mockingly as she answered, "'Verily, it is simple, and methinks that the little toil is not worthy of so great reward.' He crossed the room in one bound and swept her, fighting desperately into his arms. He crushed her down upon his heart and laughed at her when she met her teeth in his forearm until the blood ran, and caught her hands in one of his, and held her beautiful head pressed against his shoulders with his arm, and kissed her scented hair, then flung her upon the divan, and laughing, turned to meet the lion as it sprang. He caught it in mid-air grasping its throat with his left hand, and with a lightning sideways movement, gripped its hind legs just at the joint with his right. The beast's front paws just reached his chest, and tore it with great claws until the blood streamed. It roared and choked and moaned, as, holding it at arm's length as it struggled and fought, the gigantic man bent the head back to meet the feet of the hind legs, which, he is slowly bent over the back to meet the head. Zara stood upon tiptoe, eyes blazing, hands clasped, insult forgotten in the wonderful feat of strength, of which even she did not think the man was capable. Wah, wah, she cried, a very child of the desert, as she watched the animal fighting for its life. Wah, wah, she cried again, clapping her hands, when Al-Assad, the magnificent half-caste, met the lion's feet and head with a hardly perceptible effort, and at the little click, which was all that announced the end, flung the carcass at the woman's feet and walked towards the door. "'Al-Assad, thy wounds!' He turned and looked at the beautiful woman, who, carried out of herself by the intoxication of the moment, held out her arms to him, then down at the mark of her teeth upon his arm. "'My wound, O woman, is thy seal upon me!' which I carry to the day when Allah, the one and only God, shall bid me leave this maze which we call life. I go to work upon my plan, so that the desire of thy heart is granted thee. He paused for one moment, with his hand upon the curtain, and took his revenge for all the bitterness of the past. I have kissed thy hair. I have held thee upon my heart. I have bruised thee. Go to the white man, and thou wilt. He will find thee marked by another man." I will have nothing, not even one kiss from thee, until of thy own free will thou givest to me. He was gone, 
leaving her staring at the curtain. She laughed, laughed at the thought of the white man's love which awaited her, laughed at the memory of the just-fled hour, and raised her hands to call her body-woman, then turned her head and listened. From somewhere outside amongst the rocks came the sound of a man singing. Over and over again he sang the Arabian proverb mockingly, sweetly. They wooed her, and she resisted. They left her, and she fell in love. Over and over again the Nubian sang the words in his golden tenor voice as he made his way to the men's quarters. Then she clapped her hands sharply, threw herself on the couch, and sought for the photograph of Ralph Trenchard, which she wore upon her heart in Helen Raynard's golden locket. The fire of more than one war has been kindled by a single word, Arabic proverb. The firelight shone on Al-Assad as he stood in the center of an admiring circle. His bronzed skin glistened and his perfect teeth flashed, and the blood upon his chest showed dark as he moved lightly upon his feet in describing the fight with the lion. He had got the men interested, and pleased, and curious, and it would require but a very slight effort to get them angry. Their splendid teeth flashed as they laughed, and shouted encouragement, and their shadows danced as they answered the Nubians' every movement. They stretched out their hands, and brought them slowly together, and bent this way and that way as they breathed heavily, in an unconscious imitation of the half-caste, as in the way of the Oriental when deeply interested in a story. "'Wah! Wah!' they yelled. "'What then? What then?' They shouted with laughter, gleefully, joyously, and exchanged remarks which were better left unprinted, when a youth ran forward and touched Al-Assad's arm. "'Now, O brother, tell us the tale of the tiger-cat. The lion is dead. Didst thou perchance also draw the tiger-cat's teeth and claws after they were mauled by thy flesh?' The youth wrapped his great cloak tight about himself and copying Zara's walk, strolled back to his place, where he stood looking over his shoulder at the Nubian from half-closed eyes. The men roared with laughter and yelled encouragement and suggestion until the mountains echoed and re-echoed to the sound. Al-Assad took advantage of the opening. He sprang at the youth, caught him, tightly wrapped him in the great white cloak, held him easily above his head in spite of his struggles, then, still holding him horizontally, swung him round and round with much the same movement as one uses in swinging clubs, plumped him on his feet, shook him like a rat, and flung him like a sat of dura back to his place, whilst the men roared with delight. I break thy neck, O brother, and the neck of any one who dares to make mock of Zara the Beautiful. She is a woman, but is she not the child of our dead chief? Did she not give us shelter when we fled from the wrath of the pursuers? food when our bones well-nigh pierced the skin, water when we thirst, then. Tis well said, O Lionheart, verily is thy speech of gold. Does she not reward us when toil is done? continued Al-Assad, taking no notice of the unseemly interruption. When the heat of the day is o'er, and the peace of the night falleth apace, he glanced down at the mark upon his arm, well pleased at the effect of his flowing, if borrowed rhetoric was having upon his unsuspecting audience. Shall we not be grateful? Shall we not show her our gratitude? Shall we not, shall we not help her against her enemies, even as she helped us in our need? He had the men in the hollow of his hand. Their knives flashed as they leapt to their feet, 
Their voices sounded like thunder as they shouted in execration, cursed in volume, and clamored to be led against the foe. Al-Assad gave them no time to collect their senses scattered by their desire for battle, murder, and revenge. He hit whilst their wrath was at white heat, raining blows upon the pride and ultra-sensitiveness. He seized the white cloak from the one nearest and wrapped it about him, and cleared his face by the strength of his good right arm. Her enemy, my brethren and thine, is a woman, nay, give ear for a while, our mistress, with the desire to help her white prisoner, yea, even she, sat with her anon, whilst I sat without the curtain, unseen by either of them. Before Allah they were as night and day, sun and moon in their beauty, yea, and I will see that thou speakest not again in this life, my brother, if thou essayest once more to open thy mouth, which is as wide and ugly as the storm-swept desert. And behold, this is what mine eyes saw and mine ears heard. She mocked, this white she-devil, mocked the people of the desert, walked like thee, brother, this wise. With all the aptitude of the negro, he bowed his legs, and rolled as he walked towards Bowlegs, the finest horseman in the Nejd, and sat crosswise upon the cushions, and rode like thee, little one. He laughed, and pointed at a youth, who was noted for his ungainly seat upon horseback, and made mock of our women as they draw water for her bath or grind the dura for their bread. He imitated the surly negress with the gait of a lame hen. He also gave the quick movements of Namla the ant, then ran and barred the way as the men made a sudden ugly rush. It was touch and go if he held them or if they overpowered him, and in one blinding moment of fury rushed and killed Helen thereby rousing the sleeping women and children and undoing all his cunning work. He laughed, laughed long and loud, until the place rang, laughed until, suspicious of being fooled, they hesitated and stopped. Then he beckoned them, and squatting upon his haunches, spoke to them in whispers, thereby imparting a feeling of mystery to the tale he recounted of Zara's lie, which they thoroughly appreciated, and her dilemma, which they laughed at right heartily. But he had reckoned without the love of gambling, with which the Eastern is obsessed. The patriarch, who looked for all the world like Abraham at his most benevolent, and who was the hardest rider to hounds, or rather into battle, and the most inveterate gambler in Arabia, held up his hand, upon which the rest of the inveterate gamblers nudged each other with the majin, the small stick the Bedouin usually carries, and felt for their counters, or dice, or whatever they fancied most in games of chance. Thou sayest, O Assad, mighty of muscle and clear of understanding, that our mistress desires the death of the white woman, so that there shall be a portion of truth in the tale she has told the white man of the death of this white woman, who still lives? Al-Assad nodded. He was loth to see his plans go awry but he would have been still more loth to lose the chance of an hour's gambling. We say that for her mocking this white woman shall die this night. Thou sayest she must live until the night of the great feasting, which our mistress prepareth for us, so that in the sounds of singing and dancing her passing shall be unnoticed by the women, who, were it otherwise, might prattle about her death. I will play thee for her death. Choose thou the game." came a positive roar, which brought Helen up sitting upon her bed, 
as each man shouted to his neighbor, and Al-Assad drew from out his loincloth a set of cherished dice, while Yusuf drew nearer the fire with his counters in his hand. Logs were thrown on the fires, so that orange, red, and yellow flames shot skywards, against which the infuriated, excited men stood out in startling relief, as they gesticulated and laughed and cursed. Bets were laid against the time of Helen Raynard's death, and the particular kind of death she should die, for her breaking of the great law of hospitality, with side-bets upon every conceivable trifle, which by the wildest stretch of the most prolific oriental imagination could be possibly connected with the case. "'Thou Yusuf!' shouted Bowlegs, as he walked toward the blind man, with the roll of a sailing ship in the bay. "'My eldest daughter, who is as fair-favoured as an ostrich without feathers, against thy spavined mare, that the white woman dies upon the night of the feast?' Yusuf leaned forward, so that the firelight shone upon his terrible face, whilst the men gathered about the two, forgetting their own concerns, for the moment, in the interest they always took in the doings and sayings of the afflicted man. I prefer the gentle company of my spavined mare, though she be useless for the chase or the battle, O oh my brother. But I will lay my jeweled-encrusted negula against a handful of dates, that the white woman dies to-night. This woman, without compassion, this breaker of the Arab's law, I have suffered much, my brethren, but to the death I uphold our mistress against one who abuses her. For is it not written, A well from which thou drinkest? Throw not a stone in it? Yusuf was playing to the gallery, and throwing sand across his brethren's vision, whilst praying secretly to Allah the compassionate and the merciful, to hold the scales of justice well balanced between the two women. The benevolent-looking patriarch, who had more death-notches in his favorite spear than any man in the peninsula, once more held up his hand. He stroked his flowing white beard as he looked at Al-Assad, who sat with no sign of his interperturbation upon his handsome face, whilst at the top of his voice Yusuf cursed the white woman in her past, present, and future, as well as her morals, looks, and ancestry. "'So it has been arranged, O oh my children,' said the patriarch, who looked as though he should have been patting the heads of the third or fourth generation clustering about his knees instead of gambling on a woman's death. If our brother Al-Assad throws the dice so that three sixes fall upward at the same time, then the thrice-accursed woman dies upon the night of feasting and banqueting. If fate decrees that I throw these three figures of the same value at the same time, kismet, tis the will of Allah that she dies to-night. Throw, my son." Al-Assad shook the dice between his slender hands, and tossed them high into the air. The men backed as the ivory squares fell amongst them, and made way for the patriarch and Al-Assad to examine them. The patriarch raised his hands. Al-Assad laughed softly. The men howled in disappointment. The half-caste had thrown three sixes. In one brief second the chances of a whole night of gambling, to be followed by the exhilarating task of putting an offender to death, had been wiped out, yet by the decision of the dice and those uneducated, semi-savage, grievously disappointed men abide. True, they turned in the direction of the dwelling wherein Helen slept, and fingered their knives, but more from the rancor aroused by her insult than with any intention of disputing the untoward ending to what might have been such an enjoyable night, 
The patriarch looked at them and grieved for their disappointment, as much as for his own, and walked to a little distance, where he lifted his benign countenance to the stars, and he worked his wits, which in their cunning could have given points to a monkey. Then he turned and spread wide his arms, looking for all the world as though he had stepped out of a picture by some old master, and called his sons so that they ran to him, like the children they really were, in spite of their ferocious appearances and still more ferocious deeds. Al-Assad, the lion of nimble wit, saith that twere wise to allow our mistress to wed this white man. For a space, Allah alone wots of this power which drives the white to the dark, the fat to the lean, the well-favoured to the ill-favoured, and which causes more trouble than the rat in the corn or the viper on the hearth. And the tiger-cat, to meet its teeth in the flesh of the slave, shrilled the youth, who had been swung like a club, but who had revived sufficiently to gamble with the best. The men, restored to good humour by the promise in the old man's voice, shouted with laughter as they aimed friendly blows at the Nubian, who stood close to the patriarch's side. "'My son,' said the old man, as he stroked his beard, which was about his one possession he would not have staked against fortune, "'I will play thee for the death of the white man. If I throw three sixes, he dies this night. If thou throwest three sixes, then he takes Zara the Gentle as his wife for the length of six moons, after which he dies, so that thou mayest take his place at her side.' and may Allah show thee the path through the maze of love which spreads about thee and her and the white man. Helen, sitting on the edge of her bed, covered her ears with her hands at the savagery in the shouts of the men, whilst Yusuf strode forward with his counters in his hand. My spavined mare against a bowl of rice cooked by thy daughter, and may her cooking be better favoured than is her face, that the white man— and may his soul be as black as Jehanamim, and his skin as white on earth, dieth this dawn in the stead of thrice accursed white woman, he cried, whilst praying secretly and fervently to Allah the Merciful to strike the patriarch dead. They threw the dice unavailing till dawn, whilst the elder woman, wakened by the gentle method of applying the foot to their slumbering persons, rose and made coffee for their lords, half of whom, at the last throw of the dice, were to find themselves minus coffee-beans, daughters, horses, weapons, or piastres. The sky shone like an opal in the east, the birds sang, the smoke of the fires in the woman's quarter clung like mist against the mountain-side as Al-Assad shook the dice in his hands and flung them up to the flaming heavens. The men backed as the ivory squares fell amongst them, and made way for the patriarch and the Nubian to examine the result. The patriarch raised his hands. Al-Assad laughed. The men shouted with laughter and smote him friendly-wise, hip and thigh. He had thrown three sixes. And half an hour later Helen, little reckoning how near she and the man she loved had been to death, stood just inside her door, watching the magnificent sight of the shouting, laughing men as they rode their horses up the steep incline on their way to a gallop across the desert. Her eyes were full of perplexity, her heart beat heavily in an unaccountable fear, but determined that the spy should have naught to tell her mistress, she let drop the curtain and stretched herself upon the bed. Al-Assad ran up the steps to his mistress's dwelling and entered her room. 
She watched him from under her arm as she lay upon the divan and smiled at the mastery of the man's bearing, then looked up at him out of sleepy, opalescent eyes as he knelt beside her so that his face was on level with hers. He is thine, woman. The white man is thine for a space. I, Al-Assad the slave, have given him unto thee. I have worked well for thee, mistress. I have worked well for thee. He rose as he spoke, and swept her into his arms, and laughed down at her as she struggled desperately. Then he kissed her scented hair, and held her down upon his heart so that she could not move. I give thee the white man, for a spell, I, thy mate. He crushed her until she lay as still as death in his arms, then flung her on the cushions and ran out of the dwelling, and down the steps to the stables, where he led out his mare and without saddle or bridle or harness whatever, leapt across her back and rode her, shouting with the joy of life, up the steep path and out across the desert he loved. End of chapter 15 Recording by Angela Jeffries